0: Interest rates on the rise, economic turmoil in the UK, ongoing geopolitical upheavals, and of course, the looming possibility of recession. What are Canadian investors to make of all this? Andy Nasser, Chief Investment Officer at Scotia Wealth Management, is back to explain the ups and downs of the last few weeks, how it's affected the markets, and maybe even find a silver lining. I'm Stephen Maurice, and this is Perspectives. Andy, welcome back to the show. Always
1: great to have you on. Uh, Thanks for having me, Stephen. I made the joke it's colder weather, colder markets.
0: So (laughs) I feel like our running joke when we talk to you is about your calmness. I think we even compared you to Yoda at one point. Is that what you are actually like or do you just play a calm person when you go on podcasts?
1: Ah, that's a good question. (laughs) I guess it depends on how riled up I am, Stephen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Markets generally don't do that
1: to me (laughs) because um, there's a lot of irrational behavior that certainly exerts its influence on asset prices. And if you get too anxious or you get too jittery, you
0: might miss it. So we want to make sure we're patient and we seize the opportunity, right? Right. Okay. Well, let's talk about what those markets are doing right now. We'll jump right in on that. We're recording this on Monday, and it seems like some of the markets are having at least a wee bit of a comeback after a pretty tumultuous spell. I don't know if that's a good word to describe it, but can you give us a quick rundown of what happened over the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, it feels like we're playing a game of are we there yet, right? Everybody is watching what central banks are doing with policy rates. They've all committed to increasing those policy rates as much as necessary to try to combat high prices. High prices are proving to be a lot stickier than perhaps most people anticipated, and that's owing to a whole bunch of geopolitical risks and developments that have occurred in the last little while. Commodity prices are soaring. So it's all kinds of issues that make investors really uncomfortable and that don't provide a whole heck of a lot of visibility if you think of the next few quarters. But the most important thing investors can do is, and I keep saying this, have a plan you know, make sure that you've got a clear understanding of your risk tolerance and investment objectives. And hopefully you can use the tumultuousness, as you pointed out, which is a very good way to describe this as an opportunity to make some capital reallocation decisions or allocation decisions and compound money at much
0: higher rates because certainly risky assets have gone on sale. Right. So let's look at some of those factors one by one that you mentioned and we'll start with interest rates. As you said, the Fed in the US has made it very clear that they're not done yet increasing rates. Bank of Canada has said more or less the same thing. Can you explain how that's affecting investor sentiment?
1: Pretty negatively. So, you know, raising interest rates, it reduces the credit impulse in an economy, theoretically anyway. And as much as we talk about rising interest rates and central bank pushing these policy rates higher, one of the things that we don't talk about nearly enough is how heavily indebted the global economy is. and what those rising interest rates will mean in terms of corporate and consumer consumption. Mm-hmm. And as example, in Canada, we have heavily indebted households. There are other parts of the world where you have heavily indebted sovereign nations. Europe's a great example of that. And so these rising interest rates are gonna start to crimp economic output, whether it's you know the consumer spending a little bit more money, whether it's governments having to keep some more money set aside to deal with higher interest costs, All of that's exerting an influence, and the challenge is it's a pretty crude way to deal with high prices, especially when those high prices are being caused by geopolitical risks. So long story short, and I said it tongue-in-cheek, are we there yet? I think everybody is waiting for central banks to give some kind of cue that they're close to the policy hike cycle ending. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, then people will feel a lot better about you know, inflation coming back down to normal. And that should hopefully improve risk appetite for assets as well. But the concerning thing is if you're an investor, you know, you have to sit there and, and wonder how households and corporations are like are gonna deal with this combination of high interest rates and high prices, which is very, very
0: difficult thing to rationalize going into 2023. So Can you maybe explain the thought process a little more as interest rates increase? And obviously, the goal is for that to fight inflation and to cool the economy. What's the thought process of an investor? Okay, rates are going up. Therefore, I should what? Well, that depends.
1: Rates are going up. Therefore, I should hopefully it's not sell and wait. Because timing the market, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. But as rates rise, it creates more questions than it does answers. How are Canadian households going to deal with this? What does it do to real estate prices? Is there a knock-on effect? Should I be buying bonds if interest rates are going up because the price of a bond is equal to the discounted value of the cash flows that I'm supposed to get from it? And the same kind of principle applies when you're trying to value equities or anything else. So. You know, understandably, people are looking at this increase in interest rates, and it's not just short-term government bond yields, but that's spilled over into long-term government bond yields, and trying to determine how they can best position their portfolios on a risk-adjusted basis. So when we look at portfolio construction, we see some opportunities in equities, and we could play the what if we're wrong game. If we're wrong and inflation ends up sticking around throughout 2023 and even in 2024, do I still wanna own equities? Well, yeah, equities are a great hedge against inflation. And in fact, the high quality ones have the highest likelihood of pushing prices through to their end customers. And you know, with fixed income, it's very unlikely that, especially given where some of those medium to long-term government bond yields are, it's very unlikely that they stay there for a long period of time. Because when you do some back of the pad math, These higher interest rates are really going to affect consumption in a dramatic way once some of the debt gets refinanced at those higher rates. So, in fact, if anything, we see some value within the fixed income asset class where you can get a pretty stable 4% or 5% return with some capital appreciation potential if everything ends up being a lot rockier or a lot more uncomfortable than we think. Because if we do have a prolonged and deep recession, what's the one thing investors are going to buy? Well, it's longer dated government bonds because governments are going to have to yank those interest rates back down to try to get themselves out of a pothole that maybe the policy might have contributed to creating.
0: Right. So you use the word recession on a lot of people's minds. I think the expectation generally increasing that we're likely to have one. What are your thoughts on that? What's your expectation?
1: Well, I think some parts of the world are already in one. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be tough to argue that we're not going to have a recession in Europe or that we're not already knee-deep in one. What happens in other parts of the world? A little bit of to be determined. I think it's just the timing of when recession sinks in. Recession odds have certainly gone up a lot and the likelihood given some of the things that we talked about right at the beginning of the show, you know, the geopolitical concerns and all kinds of other risks, the likelihood of this threading the needle soft landing has diminished a lot. Right. So chances are that we do have an economic contraction. Hopefully, it's not a deep one because labor markets are still very tight. And that is one of the dichotomous things that it's probably worth discussing Mm -hmm. is that you have inflation that's at multi-decade highs and unemployment, which is at or near multi-decade lows in a lot of different countries. So while we may be entering into a recession, the hope is that it doesn't cause any of the long-term disrepair that's typically accompanied by a business cycle contraction.
0: You mentioned some of those geopolitical factors in Europe. The Ukrainians are having some significant successes, which most of us would see as good news. On the flip side, that has the potential to make Putin even more dangerous. Is all that part of what's making investors a bit nervous?
1: I think indirectly, we've had a while to now digest what's happening in Europe, but the knock-on effect in terms of higher oil prices and What the continent is gonna have to deal with in terms of going through the winter with uncertain gas supply and those kinds of things is one of the factors that will almost make a European recession inevitable. Mm -hmm. But the geopolitical risk, I think is, it's prevalent even when you start to look outside of Europe. There are things popping up in a lot of different countries and I don't think there's gonna be a very elegant or simple fiscal and monetary policy response that makes these issues go away or that, in a very ubiquitous fashion, makes us feel comfortable that everything is gonna be just fine in the first half of 2023. We're gonna to need to give this a little bit more time. And I think as we go through the winter, there are still more questions than answers, which is why the market volatility that you pointed out is probably gonna be here to stay for the next couple of quarters. So you may see a lot of relief rallies if people feel more confident that some of these issues are gonna be rear view mirror events. Mm-hmm or more concern if it looks like inflation, not just core inflation, but inflation including energy and food prices remains stubbornly high. And I think you're starting to see some of the latter and not the former.
0: Another event that's taking up a lot of headlines is what's going on in the UK, where the new British PM's big tax cuts and spending plans seem to, at least for a while, drive the pound to historic lows. They've now backtracked on some of the tax cuts Can you explain that situation a little bit and whether that's affecting markets and sentiment outside the UK? Why should investors care about what's going on there? I mean, it's an interesting
1: case study. The decline that we've seen in the pound isn't too dissimilar from the decline that we've seen for most major currencies against the US dollar. The US dollar has been very strong because the central bank there has said that they want to aggressively raise interest rates. And so in the UK, you have a country and a government that's running a deficit they just announced a deficit-financed or a debt-financed stimulus program that includes tax cuts, and you have some concerns about you know, financial stability, and that's why there was also an announcement for some targeted short-term quantitative easing or asset purchases. So those three things in combination don't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. I mean, if you're going to announce stimulative fiscal policy when you've got very high inflation, one could deduce that that fiscal policy could result in perhaps more inflation. So Mm -hmm. it's creating a little bit of confusion and a confidence crisis with respect to the policymakers there. But the issues that they're going through aren't really very different than the issues that a lot of developed and even emerging market countries are facing in the sense that deficits are pretty common. And one of the go-to's typically in recession, depending on how severe the recession is, is this combination of accommodative fiscal and monetary policy. It's going to make fiscal policy that much more difficult to implement. So saying it a little bit more eloquently, fiscal policy maneuverability is limited. And so I think you're starting to see investors grapple with some of that. If the restrictive monetary policy doesn't really serve to bring inflation back down, then what do we do next? And how do we still maintain broader global economic stability or domestic economic stability And the UK is a great example of a country where unemployment is still pretty low, so they figure they've got some room to be a little bit flexible with respect to some of the initiatives that they're implementing to hopefully stave off what could be a worse situation if they did nothing in 2023. So I'm not sure how successful the measures that they've taken there are gonna be, but suffice it to say, you may start to see more of this pop up in other regions, especially if you consider that as the US continues to push interest rates up and that stronger US dollar becomes more deeply entrenched in the mindset of economic participants. Some central banks may be forced to increase interest rates alongside of that.
0: Right. I guess I still don't understand why you know domestic policy, monetary and fiscal, and so on in the UK is seen as a big deal elsewhere.
1: The UK with the European Union is the largest economic block in the world. So what happens in the UK is pretty important in isolation. It's not going to have that big of an impact on the global economy, but nonetheless, it does speak to the challenges that a lot of countries are facing, specifically if your currency is declining relative to the US dollar and you're a net importer, which a lot of countries are, then you start importing even more inflation, which makes the situation worse. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these countries and policymakers are dealing with how do we make sure that we stabilize inflation in our domestic economies while dealing with higher commodity price inflation, all the while trying to get the monetary policy right and balance how much to increase interest rates to offset some of the other issues that they're dealing with. It's not a simple equation. There aren't any simple answers. And the people that are setting the policy are the ones that arguably left it a little bit too loose throughout the pandemic and the days after the pandemic. And if it was too loose before, well, now they're playing a little bit of catch up and trying to tighten it awfully quickly to deal with some of the issues that we're dealing with worldwide. Right.
0: Okay, after all that talk of volatility, let's see if we can end on some good news. Is there any silver lining here people can look out for?
1: I think there's lots of silver linings. You know, whenever we have these conversations about markets and volatility, it never feels like a good time to put money to work, right? Mm-hmm. Things bounce up and down, you know, equities have sold off about 20%, fixed income sold off about 20%. What do I do? How do I position portfolios? Those are natural questions to ask. But if you zoom out, right, and it's back to that are we there yet question, if you zoom out and you've got a longer term time horizon, this is just gonna look like a blip, right? The value of a high quality company, you shouldn't decline by 30 or 40% in a month or two or even a quarter. Chances are that a lot of the things that investors already own, you know, depending on what's in their portfolios, should provide that caveat, that a lot of the things that they own that may have been beaten up a lot will recoup their value. But again, you just want to be mindful of portfolio construction, about diversification across asset classes, within asset classes, across geographies. All of those things are really important because it helps mitigate Financial market volatility, you can never fully eliminate the volatility of any particular investment, but if you can mitigate the volatility of a portfolio, you affect better risk-adjusted outcomes over long periods of time. So the silver lining is that diversification, which I know it doesn't feel like has done a lot for people so far this year, it's going to start bearing fruit, or at least more fruit in 2023 than it did in 2022. At least that's what we think anyway. Mm things will get better. They always do. We just need demand and supply to meet in the middle and reach some kind of equilibrium because we're not there yet.
0: Well, we'll leave it there. Andy, I want to thank you again for joining us. Always enjoy your insights on what's going on in the markets. My pleasure. and Thanks for having me. I've been speaking with Andy Nasser, Chief Investment Officer at Scotia Wealth Management. You've been listening to Perspectives. Please follow and rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts. For a transcript of this episode, visit our website, Scotiabank.com/perspectives. We'll see you next time.